The Three P Champions podcast is brought to you in part by Art in Motion, where we create moving pictures. Send us your family photos, home movies. Give us a call. We'll do a Zoom interview with you. Turn it into a loving, customized tribute. It'll be the greatest gift you'll ever give. You can find us at www.artinmotion.tv. Thanks so much. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of 3P Champions Podcast. I'm Rob Stoller in Philadelphia. And I'm Greg Stern here in Seattle. Greg, my man, you rock. (laughs) Today's 3P Champion is another extraordinary guy. Rich Shoebrooks has had seemingly a pretty good trip. He was a student athlete in high school and college, and he coached some in college. And I think he's one of these guys that uh, made himself valuable and attractive to people and ended up getting some extraordinary jobs, most notably with Nike, became a global rep for Nike and a scout. And the thing about Rich, in addition to just being a guy who's done extremely well, number one, he's shared his success with everyone he's come into contact with. And something that I appreciate particularly is that he is grateful for all the fabulous things that have happened to him. And I really think that's important. I don't begrudge anybody success and wealth and everything else they get, but I think it is incumbent upon all of us to appreciate what we've been given. And he certainly does to the nth degree. And I really respect that. And Greg, you know him better and longer another guy that you brought to this party. What are your thoughts on Rich? Now, he's a special person, you know, with all of his accolades in terms of working with Converse and Nike. What he really is, is just a hungry people person. He loves to meet people and learn from them. He takes those lessons and moves on and he, he just, he's always networking, but he found his passion kind of in the basketball world. He's about around so many great people like the John Woodens and the Phil Knights and Jerry West that you know, I think he was just energized by it, but uh, he loved what he did. He loves to meet people. He likes to teach people what he learned, and he's just a good human being that really cares. And, you know, he was in a position where you got to look at it from the outside. It's a fun job he had. He traveled the world uh, on somebody else's dime. He scouted athletes. He met people. He created things, and uh, he was around a lot of fun and, and great people. And so I just like his enthusiasm, his energy. You You'll see as a listener, when you hear him, you're going to you're going to feel that energy, this positivity. Yeah, I think it's obviously contagious. And he takes great effort to acknowledge people who have helped him. He's got exercises, daily exercises of gratitude and assists, people who have provided assists and thank you notes that he writes personally. And he's just one of those guys that has done extremely well and is grateful for it. So. Again, without more talk about him, let's hear Rich Shoebrooks on uh, life. I tell you what, man, I, I got to be the luckiest guy in the world. Honestly, God, I really had some great opportunities, some doors open that I never expected. The one thing that I, that I will say, and I never was afraid of, and I think some people become immobilized by change. They don't want to take it. You know, they don't know what's out there, but they're afraid to try it. I mean, I've traveled all over the world. I took jobs went over to Europe, went to Amsterdam, went to Spain. I was lucky. My wife went with me and we had the greatest time. Worked with John Wooden at camps. I worked with Jerry West, Michael Jordan, Kevin O'Connor, Phil Knight. 
And so I was really blessed with some of the things that have happened. Hey, Rich, is that something you were just born with, that kind of personality, that kind of drive, the fearless mentality? You, you know, I'll tell you where I think it hit me the first time. When I was a high school, well, first of all, I grew up in Delaware, Wilmington, Delaware. Delaware guy. I went to school in Texas, Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And, and then I went on and went to Texas A&M Kingsville. And I was a graduate assistant, coach there, moved on from there to Midwestern, then came back as a head coach at Texas A&M Kingsville. And I was very, I was like 27 years old. And I and work in the summers with Coach Wooden at his camps in San Diego and Point Loma. Lucky that. What a great, what a great place. I love, I love that place. And Lute Olson had a place down there. And I got to be real close with Lute uh, when I was with Nike. And my wife and I went down there uh, looking at homes because we thought that when we retired, we'd kind of like to live there. A friend of mine was doing some stuff in the summers there uh, with camps. And he said, why don't you come out here and do it? Uh, he said, I'll talk to Coach Wooden and see if you can get a spot. And so I went out there. And that, that probably was the greatest basketball experience that I ever had. But, I, but right along that same time, I heard Abe Lemons talking one time uh, at a clinic in Texas. He was, at, he was at the University of Texas at the time. And when I, after I heard him talk, it kind of it hit a nerve. And um, I, I think made me realize if this guy can speak and do some of these things, you know, you could do the same thing. And so that's when I kind of ventured out and started doing some speaking things and uh, did parlayed some stuff with Converse, and then we started the Strength Shoe, me and another guy. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, I yeah. Had the platform. Me and another guy started that. And then after that, I went, Sonny Vaccaro left Nike, and it had an, so that left an opening. And um, my, high school, my high school coach just happened to be in Portland uh, at the time, and he called me right away and said, hey, they just let Sonny Vaccaro go. If you have any interest, you know, you better get on the stick. Wow. And so all these guys that I had talked to speaking at their camps in the summer, from Eddie Sutton to Jim Beheim to, yeah, to Vilvano and all those guys, I had them call out there to talk to Phil Knight. I'd end up getting a job with Nike. It was great. So from the point you played high school, you started meeting these amazing people that gave you some mentorship and some direction, and you just – Took it for the rest of your life, huh? I was really, really fortunate. I, I had a high school coach by the name of Ace Hofstein. Uh, he was a Jewish guy that coached in a Catholic school, and it was kind of it was kind of interesting. But he he really got me started in the whole thing. And from there on, I just basketball opened so many doors, and I never dreamed that that rubber ball, a leather ball, could could take me so many places. I figured it up one time that I had the equivalent of thirty times around the earth with the mileage that I had accumulated, you know, um, when they frequent flyer miles and stuff like that. And, and I always did something I, that I loved doing. How many years have you spent in Barcelona? Uh, we lived in Barcelona for 16 years. Wow. Well, actually, I lived in Amsterdam for two years before that. Nike's European headquarters was in Amsterdam. And I headed up basketball sports marketing for Europe, Africa, and the Middle East for Nike. I was going to China probably 25 years ago and uh, I would see things in China and I'd come back and tell people back in this country. And even today, people have no clue really what's going on in China. The, I mean, these guys, they're not going to be a superpower. They are superpower. And in so many areas, they're neck and neck with the United States 
in so many ways. And in a lot of ways, they're ahead of the United States, you know, in terms of uh, the consumption of copper, the consumption of uh, magnesium, the number of paved roads. And when they make up their mind to do something, it's done like that. Because once you have that type of government, you don't have, you know, two sides fighting back and forth all the time about trying to get stuff passed. But I would say that was a great ride. Barcelona was a great ride. I was over there at the time when Pau Gasol was coming up. Tony Parker, I brought Tony and I brought Pau. So many guys that we had something called the Hoop Summit. We moved it around in the beginning, but then we kept started keeping it out in Portland. But all those young guys, Joe MB, all those guys, they all came up through the, through the Hoop Summit game. And most of the NBA scouts were at the game. And that's the first time that a lot of those guys even saw him. Just like uh, Donnie Nelson when he saw uh, Dirk. And oh, yeah. he, got, he went crazy over Dirk at that time. And they flew back to uh, Germany right after that to try to talk to Dirk about putting his name in for the draft so they could bring him over. So there's been a number of guys that have come through that. I have a, I mean, I have a giant list of them. And that was, a, that was a great experience in itself. Spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe, spent time in Russia, spent a ton of time in Africa. I was going down there for 16 straight years. Kim Mahoney with the NBA had contacted me about us getting involved with Basketball Without Borders. So we started doing these Basketball Without Borders events. Uh, we were doing them in China, we were doing them in Europe, we were doing them in South America, and we were, we were doing them in Africa. And we bring the best young players from, from the different continents together in these different locations. And so it also gave me a great chance as being a, a global scout at the time and also working with Nike to try to find out who these up and coming young stars are gonna be. So we were able to sign those guys to contracts. And then we were also able to get, you know, get in there with them for the uh, opportunity to go in the draft. Ultimately, you, you, you were on the ground floor of globalizing basketball. I was, it was, you know, I'd go to a game when I first was over there and there might be at the most two scouts besides me. And then by the time I left, you know, every team had guys over there, you know, so that thing evolved over that period of time to what it is today. And you see how many guys have gone into the league since that time. So Rich, when you were a kid, what were your dreams or aspirations? What do you think you might do? Get out of Wilmington, Delaware. My high school coach was good friends with Jack McCluskey. So he used to give me tickets to go up to the Palestra. Jack was at the University of Pennsylvania at the time. And I'd go up there and watch games. I'd go to Jack McCluskey's summer camp. And I, I, was, I was just around some good people. I was, you know, very, very lucky. I, I thought I wanted to be a basketball coach. And I did it for a while in high school, did it in college. And then when the opportunities came up, like uh, first converse, Joe Dean, who was the uh, athletic, ended up being the athletic director at LSU, as you probably know, Greg, you probably met him through Dale at some point. Um, he offered me a job. Bailey Howe and I, Bailey Howe, who played with Wow, me Bailey Howe. Years ago. Bailey you and I. You don't hear his name a lot. We divided up uh, Louisiana and Mississippi, Alabama, and he took the northern part because he lived in Starkville, and I took the southern part. And I dealt with all the colleges and the pro team at the time were the Jazz. I got to watch Pete at LSU. I got to watch Pete when he came into the league. Um, I was at the game the night when he messed up his ankle. He tried to throw a pass. Well, he did throw a pass between his legs, a bounce pass like the length of the court. And he came down on his leg, you know, just 
kind of tweaked his knee. And that's what, that was the start of his knee problem. You know, to this day, when I watch some of his YouTube stuff playing, you know, pig and a horse, the stuff that guy could do, people can't do it this day. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, it's a, you know, that one drill he does called a ricochet, throws it through his legs and catches it. Behind. Oh, yeah. Cha -cha -cha -cha. yeah. 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 I mean, you got to be careful when you do that one. <laughs> I see kids trying it all the time, but not. It was just, it was a great, you know, when I worked for Converse, I'd do all the summer camps at Converse, and then uh, going to Nike was just sort of a natural thing to do. I'll tell you what I was really fortunate about, the fact that when I moved over to Europe, heading up basketball sports marketing for uh, Nike, I had been in Beaverton, then I went over to Europe, and when I went over there, I was there for two years, they wanted me to come back, and my wife and I still, we just, we love Europe, so I said I'd like to stay, they said, well, if you stay, We'll have to make you a consultant because we don't have the uh, headcount for this position anymore. We changed things around. And so when they did that, um, it, it gave me the opportunity. And, and I guess the first one was Bernie Bickerstaff. Oh, Bernie, uh, yeah. Boy, oh, boy. Bernie talked to me about doing some scouting and stuff like that. And then uh, uh, Jerry West, uh, you know, had taken over as the general manager of the Jazz so I, I was able to work full time doing both jobs. One was a, one was a consultant. The other one was NBA job. Two salaries, two expense, two expense accounts. I, I do want to be you. And all I did was watch game. I mean, I'd go to a game for an hour and a half. My wife and I would go to a game. This one routine we had, we'd fly into Venice on a uh, Saturday. See, Saturday night, we go to Treviso and we go to a game. Benetton had a team there. We'd go to that, that game there. Then Sunday, we'd go over to Milan, I mean, to Bar uh, Bologna, and we'd watch the team in Bologna. Monday, we'd go over to Milan. Tuesday, we'd have a day off. We'd go down to uh, Florence. Wednesday, we'd go down to Siena and watch a game. Thursday, we'd have some time off. Then we'd watch another game down in Rome. And I would do that three times a year for 16 years, just that one, just that one trip. And then all the stuff in Eastern Europe and the other places. I can't even tell you, man, how lucky I was. Can't imagine how your wife feels. She couldn't have seen any of that coming. She, Is she a big, big basketball fan, travel fan? I know she's a rich Shoebrooks fan. She used to amaze people when we get together at parties and the men would be talking about basketball. She knew more about it than they did. She was on the board of directors for uh, Piedmont Natural Gas back in Charlotte. So we'd fly back and go to her board meetings and uh, we'd go on a retreat. And when she'd come back, we, the guys would start talking to me about basketball and then she'd pipe in and start telling stuff about what's going on. And those guys were amazed at the stuff that she knew. I mean, she forgot more than most women would ever know. We're not really talking about your marriage, but it seems like you had the perfect partner for a really extraordinary career. You have no idea. She was fantastic. Uh, Lute Olson was over with us in Paris, and she would take Bobby, Lute's wife, take Bobby shopping, and Lute would be doing a clinic with us. And then afterwards, we'd all go out to dinner and do things. And that uh, one particular trip is when they found out that Bobby had started the cancer that ended up uh, taking her life. Mm. And then also Lute came over uh, and spent a week with us right after Bobby died. Uh, stayed, with, stayed, with, stayed with us on the beach in Spain. Had a lot of good stories, did some crying, uh, did some uh, drinking of wine and had a really nice time, you know, uh, trying to get his mind off of the whole situation. 
So, so obviously you've had this phenomenal basketball career, but I also know as you as a motivator, a passionate guy, you've impacted a lot of people. One of the reasons we started this program is because of Coach Dale Brown. We wanted to mentor people through the social media, especially youth. And I said, you know what? Hey, Rob, let me call Coach and see if he'll let us interview him. We interviewed him and, you know, you know, Coach Dale Brown. I mean, oh, yeah. we, we hung up. I was shadow boxed. I was so inspired. And, then, and, then, the best. and that's how this whole thing started. We knew that people who were successful knew who they were. They found a passion. They had a purpose to live with the principle. And obviously for you to have the success you had, you had, you had to have all those. I, I think I always tried to have a positive attitude about life in general. Well, my first coaching job, it was at a school with a lot of young Mexican-American kids. When I went in there, I sort of was a father figure to a lot of those guys. You know, I, I opened up the gym at night on the weekends and stuff like that. And I just knew with basketball, but I knew what it had done for me. It moved me out of Wilmington, Delaware, took me halfway across the country, gave me a job, gave me working in summer camps. And I, I just felt like it had been so good to me that I wanted to give it back. And so many good things had happened to me through basketball and through people like Dale Brown or Joe Dean, you know, Phil Knight, Jerry West, Michael, Jordan, and all, the, all those guys, you know, they, they had done so much for my life. And I, and I was grateful for all those things that happened. And I wanted to find a way to kind of give them back. And that's why, you know, I got into the motivational speaking. And I'll tell you the one thing about motivational speaking. I, every time I do it, I, I would tell whoever I was speaking to, I felt good. I felt much better when I walked out of there after doing it than when I walked in. I think as a, a requirement of guys that have had a great career and a great life like yourself, is the appreciation of it, you know, as opposed to just thinking, oh man, I am super freaking cool and good for me. You don't do that, even though you are pretty freaking cool and you've had a great time, but the desire to share that, the appreciation for what you have, I think is what separates you from guys who have made a lot of money and had a good time doing it. So that's the kind of person that we want to feature is people who have had a great run and appreciate it and want to share it. Every day when I walk on that beach and I walk every morning with my dog and we go about three miles, I, it takes me about a mile and a half to go over uh, a little routine that I have about being grateful, the people I thank, the people that have passed away, all those kind of things. I do that every day and it takes me about an hour and a half. And I, and I really do think to recognize you know, hey, why you're here and the reason that you've been fortunate because of all these people that have that helped you along. There's a guy by the name of Babe Nagel in Wilmington, Delaware. That Babe, I was going to public school and in the sixth grade, he saw me playing baseball in the summer. He came to my family and I wasn't Catholic at the time. And he said, uh, hey, I want to get you a scholarship to come to St. Elizabeth's High School. To, to play ball there and go to school and you get a good education. And uh, I, yeah, I said, well, you have to talk to my parents. And they, they were not Catholic and they really didn't want me to go to Catholic school, but I kind of begged them because I knew, you know, they had all these good programs for the Catholic school kids at that time, the CYO league and stuff like that. And uh, Babe Nagel did some things for me back then. He, he, he was, he was the guy that set me off and, and gave me a great opportunity. He put me in a position. And then from there, it's just more and more people that kept putting me in a position. It was almost as if God had touched me and said, hey, uh, 
this guy's this guy's coming into your life. Listen to this guy. This guy's coming into your life. Listen to this guy. And it moves right along. And it's, you know, I, I just I've been lucky. And I know people say, well, you get lucky and make your own luck. But I, I've been I've been really, really lucky. Just very fortunate, man. That's all I can say. You know, Rich, we talk about all the time now. There's so much craziness going on in the world. And he's moving so fast. A lot of kids that know best right even allow the time to develop. It's all about winning. But, you know, we, we feel like, you know, everybody should have a mentor for everything they do in life. And I'm sure you just told that little story there. Me, uh, I never, my brother went down the path of drugs and alcohol. He's, he's passed away. God bless him. Um, I met John Stockton, John Wooden. And because I had mentors that I looked up to and they took an interest into me and, and said, hey, you know, it's okay to be small and still play basketball. That changed the course of my life. And it seems to me that, when you have someone at a young age, when regards to what your background is, who knows what's going on in your world, but that touches you and, and, and takes an interest in you, shows you a little love and inspires you to be better and says, it's okay, I believe in you or something like that. We talk about all the time, everybody on our show, someone had that happen to them. And we don't see a lot of that as much as we used to. We don't see a lot of, a lot of empathy, but everybody needs mentors. And obviously you had a mentor that got you going. And it sounds like to me that you became an amazing mentor and, uh, you know, when you get around great people who take an interest and love you, good things seem to happen. Well, you, I think you're absolutely right. You know, when that happens to you, you're constantly looking for a way to pay it back, you know, or pay it forward. You know, you're, you're trying to reach out and, and, and trying to help somebody else out. and They're out there everywhere. You know, the assists are everywhere. Mm. And, and I'll tell you what I used to do. I used to take 10, 10 coins, okay, like 10 pennies. And I don't know where I picked this up from. I would try every day to give 10 assists. And when I would do that, I would take those coins and move them from one pocket to the other pocket. And the assist might be something so simple as uh, opening the door for somebody that's carrying groceries or asking somebody, can I help you with that? Or just telling somebody you really look nice today. It wasn't big things. They weren't big things. They were, they were little things. But, but there are so many assists in life. You know, there's the assist that you give and there's the assist that you receive. And then there's the hockey assist that maybe I can't help you, but I know somebody else that can help you and I will plug you into them. And I've tried to do a lot of those hockey assists in my life. But maybe the biggest assist of all is the assist that you give to yourself. I've worked with a lot of people in really, really difficult situations, wheelchairs and amputees, and typically they're a very appreciative bunch, ironically, more so than many of the rest of us who have every reason to be grateful. You've had good fortune and you are grateful. How do you impart that to other people? The, the greatest conundrum in my life is trying to get people who have every reason to be grateful to be grateful. I used to say something about being an ask hole, not an asshole, but an ask hole. Huh. And, and people would accuse me of asking a lot of questions. And so I'll, I'll pepper you with, if I meet you somewhere, when I leave, I'm going to know more about you than you know about me. Mm. And, and I want you to feel good about who you are. My wife does the same thing. She went to this event in uh, New York. Kim Bahoney puts on an event every year at Christmas for all the women that are in the media in New York, uh, whether it's ESPN people come in or uh, NBC, ABC or whatever. And so, so she invited my wife to go and Kim is part owner of a restaurant uh, right outside the, the theater district. And so Muriel went 
And the next day I said, how'd it go? She said, it was good. I had a good time. And I talked to Kim the next day and Kim said, um, hey, we want your wife to come to this thing every year because everybody loved your wife. They just thought she was the best. So then after Kim told me that, I went to my wife and I said, what did you do? Everybody loved you at this thing. What, what the heck did you do? She said, I didn't know any of those people. So everybody I met, I said, tell me about yourself. You know, if you ever went for interviews, a lot of times it works out really good if you kind of spin the interview around the other way and talk to the person doing the interviewing. I, I felt that way. You know, and, and people that know me know I ask a lot of questions and my, my kids will give me a really hard time about it. But I, that's the only way you can find out stuff about people, you know? I don't know the exact quote, but it was a Maya Angelou statement that people care about, you know, not what you say, what you do, but how you made them feel. And you, you have a talent and a propensity for making people feel important, like you care about them. And you do. That's the only way it'll work because you're sincere. But that's a quality that people naturally gravitate to because you make them feel better about themselves. And everybody wants to have that. I mean, everybody wants to feel good. But another thing I started doing, that not just the, the 10 coins, but the other thing was three thank you notes a day. And I would call them thank you grants. Every day I'd write three thank you notes and send them out to people. And, and it might be something that happened way back and it may be something that happened today or yesterday. But I would send three thank you notes a day, every day. You know, it was amazing what that did and what it did for me. When I put them in the mailbox, I felt so good mm. about sending them out to them. Another yeah. thing I used to do is I got this from Joe Dean, this other thing. On Christmas Eve, I'd get on the, I'd get on the phone and I would have a list. What happened? Joe called me Christmas Eve. I'm with my family and I'm thinking, this guy's calling me on Christmas Eve to thank me and wish me a Merry Christmas and all this. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really something. I don't never forget that. If he if he'd give me a thousand dollars, I wouldn't have felt any better. So I picked that up from him, and I started. I had the list of people, and I'd call them maybe one or two minutes because they're busy. But I just wanted to call them, wish you a Merry Christmas with you and your family, so whatever. And it was amazing the response that something so small gets. And you know, it's little things actually that you do over and over again that give you the big results. It's not big things. It's really not big things. It's just those little things that you can do over and over again. How did that spirit of uplifting people become your spirit? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I think when I was growing up, you know, playing with the guys and, you know, you want your friends to like you. And so you're, you're, you're doing stuff with them or for mm. them. My dad was a, a butcher. And so I would invite guys over and I cook some steaks for them for lunch as a kid. I mean, I was 16 years old. They probably weren't. I've been there in a heartbeat. I'd be buddy also. They weren't even eating steaks at home, probably. And I don't know if that's the answer. I mean, I, I don't know where it came from. You know, it was funny. I worked with a philanthropist in Philly named Jerry Lenfest. And he's a, a, an enormous philanthropist, but the kind of guy that never wanted his name on buildings. He never wanted to be recognized for what he did, the contributions he made, which were enormous. But like you, when I met him, he asked me where I was from. He asked me where my parents were from. And my dad was from the Bronx. My mom was from Brooklyn. He got all off on the Bronx and Brooklyn. And 
he didn't spend this much time talking about himself. And I don't think he ever spent that much time talking about himself. But it was obvious to me that he was the kind of guy you are in making me feel important. I was going there to, you know, be with a guy that I thought was important. And he absolutely flipped the script. And I could not have been more impressed with him. That's what impresses me about people, how they treat other people. That's a good measure for someone, I think, the way they treat other people. You see the way they treat their assistants or their secretaries or whoever. You, you can learn a lot about them really quick. Could not agree with you more. I, I did a video about a doctor at Jefferson upon his retirement, who was remarkable. He turned the whole school program hospital around. And when I did the video, I interviewed 44 people to speak about him. He insisted I had the cleaning woman who had cleaned his office for years, the security guard who had worked there throughout his tenure. And it was like, it was a no-go if we had the incoming president, but not the woman who cleaned his office. And that is just the most admirable quality I can imagine. And you have it. And that's why, that's as much as anything, that's why you're so successful. You know, when you get around people like that, like Dale Brown, like him, like, like Jerry West, the Phil Knights, you get around some of those people like that, it's, it's very contagious. It's really very contagious. Hey, Rich, we talk a lot about, you know, obviously in order now, legacy. You leave a legacy. One of the things I look at, you know, what I've seen recently about you probably in the last two years was this, this thing you did at your place where you had Jerry West on these guys in this leadership conference. What was your goal with that? I mean, that seemed amazing that you'd have all these great people over there. Tell us what that was kind of like. I thought about trying to do something where I could connect these people that I knew with average people that might never get a chance to meet them. Mm -hmm. So I came up with this idea of doing the extra mile beach retreat. And so the whole thing was a three-day event. My house wasn't built at the time, but the, the very last house was on the market to be sold. And it's been on the, was on the market for a long time. So I went to the realtor and I said, look, I've got a great idea. I want to have this retreat and I'm going to ask 15, we're only going to take 15 people. How about if you let us use the house? You might get lucky and maybe one of these people would be interested in buying it. I told him I'm going to have Jerry West and I'm going to have this Dr. Joe Garcia, the team doctor for the Hornets and Kevin O'Connor and Fran Fischello was, was doing it. And I said, what if you let us use the house for free and we're not going to sleep there. We're just going to use that as a classroom. He said, yeah, that, that'd be a great idea. So we had the extra mile beach retreat and the whole thing was in the morning, we'd break the groups up into like three, maybe three or four people. And they would walk with Jerry on the beach one day. And then someone would walk with me, someone would walk with Kevin, someone would walk with Dr. Joe Garcia, someone would walk with Fran Ficello and just talk about whatever they wanted to talk about. And that would be about an hour walk. And then we'd come back and talk about it. And then we'd run, you know, Jerry would talk, Kevin would talk, we'd have we'd break out in sessions and everything like that. And, and that was it. That was a great, that turned out to be a great thing. We only had one woman, all the rest were, were men. And they were in all kinds of fields. It wasn't just sports fields. It was, you know, sort of a combination of everything. Uh, Jerry West was my favorite player growing up. Everything about him dripped class and Mr. Clutch, and I just admired everything about his game and his persona. And then years later, a couple of years ago, I read his book, West by West. 
I think I almost went into treatment after that. He was so candid about his anxiety and how his disappointments festered and he lost his brother and he was anything but what I assumed he would be with all his success and his greatness. And I guess he's worked his way through it as an older adult, but his book paints a picture of a pretty tormented guy. You know, when I was working with the Grizzlies, he'd come over and we'd go for a week to 10 days traveling around, just he and I. I can remember the first time Jerry called me up to his room and he started talking to me about his background and growing up and everything like that. Same stuff that you saw in the book. He just, he poured it all out. We had a party in Spain when we were in Spain. The Grizzlies were coming over to play Houston Rockets or something. It was an exhibition game. And so we had a party at our house and I told my wife, I said, you're responsible for Jerry. If he needs anything, you just, so she went over and said, hi, I'm Rich's wife. And he said, I'm Jerry West. And she said, "Uh, well, how are you doing? He said, do you really want to know? She said, yeah. He said, well, I'm pretty messed up. He didn't use that word. He used a little stronger word, you know, but they sat down and talked to my wife, talked to him for maybe an hour sitting there in the patio and he said, told her all that same kind of stuff. But I tell you what, Jerry would do anything for anybody. He was, we went through an airport. We stopped at a shop in Milan. He was buying a coat. He said, what do you think? How do you like this coat? It's a leather coat. I said, that's a beautiful coat. You ought to get it. And he turned to the, and the coat was a couple thousand dollars. Or something. He turned to the guy next to him and he said, and get him one just like it. But he would do anything. When I go over there and travel and he'd say, you take your per diem money. I got the meals covered. Don't worry about it. You know, he said, you put that per diem money in your pocket. He would do anything for you. And I learned so much from him. What did you learn from him, Rich? The one thing that stands out more than anything was the importance of relationships, the importance of, uh, you know, having confidence in somebody, believing in somebody, trusting them, the value of that friendship, the value of that relationship. If he told you something, you're not going to go around and tell anybody else about it. And he was very private. He was a private guy until he got to know you. He worked hard. He was he was super. He was a super guy. I'm sure he didn't open up and pour his heart out to anybody. It's again because he knew he was safe with you and he liked you and your wife as well. So it's really more of a testament to you guys. Obviously, you and your wife have the kind of persona that makes somebody feel safe telling their innermost thoughts. He diffuses people. He's not, hey, here I am, Jerry West. No, here I am. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got issues. I've got problems, you know, just like everybody else. I mean, he's very diffusing when he says certain things like that. And what a powerful thing. I mean, obviously, we're seeing the statistics of depression and all these diseases. And, you know, obviously, this last few years of Kevin Love. It's easy to get caught up in how good somebody is. But, hey, we're all human. We all got crap in our little bag. And we, you know, to get somebody with a lot of clout, you know, a celebrity status or someone you look up to, to be vulnerable and to show you that they're human. I mean, there's nothing more powerful than that to me, a kid to see something you, you can open up and talk about something that's, you know, a bad thing. For him to share that story, I mean, holy cow, I mean, I can't, I, I just can't even imagine the amount of people that read that, that really was probably freeing for them, you know? Absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it, it said it in the book, if you'll recall, in the book, he talked about. He had a gun under his bed and he told his father, I used a gun, you know, when the father was abusing him at one point. He said, I went out and shot baskets to get out of the house and get away from that. And he said, I may not have been the player I am today 
if I had so I had someone that was his with. that was his sanctuary. That was where he got his feeling good. He just he'd go focus on something else. No, I, yeah. I do it myself. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Hey, listen, I don't want to. I love talking to you guys, but I got to go. It's been but, a pleasure, Rich, man. You're definitely a three champion. Passion, purpose, and principle have been in your blood forever. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, you're, you're quite a guy. The things that impress me the most are your generosity and your gratitude. And I respect that. And okay. thank you so much. I hope I get to meet both of you in person. Thank you, Rich. I hope so, too. Okay, love you guys, man. Thank Take you, care. Rich. Love, love you, too, man. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Well, thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed hearing Rich Shoebrooks speak about his life and life in general as much as we enjoyed presenting him. Greg? Hey, I, I love listening to that conversation with Rich. He's done so much. There's some things that stand out when he's, you know, he's part of the Nike Summit where they scout these athletes around the world and have these games. So the, uh, the NBA teams would come visit and find people like Dirk Nowitzki and Tony Parker. Uh, his talks about Michael Jordan and Jerry West and, uh, you know, he, he loved it so much. He traveled so much. I think he made a comment that he added up his miles and it was 30 times around the earth. <laughs> thought that was pretty amazing. But more importantly, the, the people side of him, and you mentioned it before we, we, we did the show, is that his little things that he's constantly doing to, to, to help and serve. And I love that little thing. I was a point guard and assist guy, but he'd carry 10 pennies in one side of his jeans. And he'd, he'd focus on trying to give 10 assists during the day, whether it's saying, hello to somebody or helping somebody with their, you know, their day or whatever it was. And after he completed those tens, he'd have those 10 pennies in the other side of the pocket. Yeah. And the other one you heard was when on Christmas Eve, he's calling around and, and giving a little message to people. And so the little things he said are what make the big things. And he sure did a lot of those to keep relationships going. So what a special guy. I enjoyed him. I love all the talks about, you know, the basketball guys, but just down to earth, loves life and likes to impact people. You're so right. And he credits people with having shown him things. And these little things he does are things that he was shown. And there's no question that relationships are extremely important to Rich. He cherishes them. He nurtures them. And I think he's more of a listener than a speaker. We had him talking today and, and he is actually a public speaker and a motivational speaker. But I think he's also a tremendous listener. And uh, just a special guy. So thanks so much for joining us today and come back next time for another unique and amazing 3P champion. Greg, thanks so much, buddy. Thank you, Robbo. See you, everybody.